0: Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. So glad you're with us this morning. It's just a delight to come together and all of us be able to worship God here, everywhere, and just to, uh, to bless His name together. When I was uh, younger. Uh, I was about 12 years old, 11, 12. My dad bought me a rifle. It was a 270 rifle meant for deer hunting. Sorry if you're one of those people that don't like hunting. Uh, my dad made me do it, whatever. Uh, I kind of liked it too. But um, he bought me this rifle and he wanted to teach me how to shoot it. So he brought me out to this place... Um, up like kind of on the way to Yosemite, Red Hill Road. And there was this place where you could like shoot. And so uh, he he taught me everything I needed to know about shooting. And he he taught me how to load the gun. He taught me how to, you know, get a round in the chamber. He taught me how to aim and fire. And one of the things he told me when he was teaching me how to load the gun is always look at your bullet caliber. On the back of that bullet, there's a a caliber stamped, okay? And make sure it's the right caliber for the gun that you're going to be hunting with. So he hands me a rifle round and says, let's try it hands me this rifle round. I load it in, and right as I'm about to bring it up to my face to, to, uh, to shoot the gun, he, uh, he, he smacks me on the side of the face and says, bam! Oh, what are you doing? And he said, take the, take the round out. So I did. Looked at the back of it, he said, what, what caliber is that? I looked at it and I said, not the caliber for my gun. And he said, you have to remember what I say. You have to To do it because if you would have shot that gun it would have been very dangerous. I will never forget that lesson ever. My dad explained and warned to me but it was my job to listen and obey. It's our job to listen and obey. Can I get an amen? Verses one through nine that we preached through last week. This is where Peter describes false teachers in kind of more general terms. But this week, in verses 10 through 22, in fact, open there right now, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 22, uh, he gets very specific, very specific. He warns us of the motives and the actions that will give these false teachers away, if we're watching, and how it will damage the church, what they do, church and individuals. So he's getting very specific in these verses. Now, like my dad, when he was teaching me how to shoot, Peter's job was to warn. Our job is to heed the warning in two ways. First way, be careful who you allow to lead you. Watch their doctrine and their life. It's not just if they're preaching things that the Bible says, it's are they living it out? Perfectly, of course not. If you watched me 24-7, man, you would be very bummed out that I'm preaching right now. But. We have to watch not just our doctrine, but the life that backs it up. But the second thing we need to do is this. In heeding Peter's warning, we need to be careful who you're becoming. Not just watching for false teaching, false living out there, but mostly inward. Be watching who you're becoming. Here's why. The only threat that a false teacher poses to you is if you allow them to mislead you or you become one. You become like them. Watch your doctrine and your life even with more precision than you watch others. And be very aware of what you believe, asking the question, is it biblical? And who you're becoming, am I Christ-like? Because we can have all the right doctrine but not reflect Christ one bit. I would invite you guys, this is kind of an application to what we're going to be talking about today, but I'd invite you guys right now that if you're not in the Word every single day, we have a reading program that we're doing. It's the McCheyenne Reading ver- uh, Program. It's, it's being done on the Bible app. If you don't have that, get that app and get that, um, get that reading program. We'll post it up again on socials. a link to it uh, today. Uh, and also, because it's not just about knowing God's Word, it's about your w- life being in line with God's Word. Um, I would encourage you to join a group. Right now, there's some online. Right now, some are going to be opening up and meeting in people's backyards. Uh, but we are the worst judges of our own character. We need community so that we have a mirror to see ourselves clearly. Amen? In the word every day and in community, it's so important. Now, to, to equip you to do this, today we're going to work through this passage verse by verse and make a list of Peter's warnings. Um, I thought through different ways to preach this this morning, but I don't know any other way than just to go through the list of what Peter said in his way in his day and translate it to our day. So we're going to start at verse 10, and we're going to work our way through Says this, and especially those false teachers who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. You see, the first point is this. False teachers are rebellious and immoral. It's this toxic mix of rebellious and immoral. You see, their king is themselves. Self is their king, their desires, their impulses their own will in exchange for God's, instead of God being on their throne, they themselves are on their throne. How easy it is for all of us to get into that place. They would uh, mock and be rebellious towards what Peter calls the glorious ones. These are divine beings. They would say, I am my own master here in this physical realm. I will do what I want and I don't fear any consequences that may come from any spiritual being like angels or demons or even God himself. I am the master of my own destiny. So I'm not afraid. And those non-material beings, they can't do a thing to me. Peter's opponents of these days most likely believe that there was no divine judgment after death. They believed no judgment from God was coming. So they said, I do what I want. I will do whatever I want. If there's no God or even if he's there, he's powerless to touch me. And so I'll do whatever I want, mocking God. Rebellious, arrogant people who won't listen to anyone but themselves and their lifestyle. It's all about material and physical lust and excess. They would say morality is for suckers. Now it is true that morality can become a God in and of itself, can't it be? Many church traditions have made morality the way that you get into heaven have been the way that you please god and that is not true it is faith it is salvation by grace through faith alone in christ that ushers us into god's presence jesus ushering us into god's presence and while we must reject the kind of legalism that says we have to earn to, make God's, to get God's favor. We need to embrace the relationship between God's grace for us and God's kingship over us. They was, those two things are not enemies. God is both king over us and has immense grace and mercy for us. In our current culture, even in the church, it's very easy to brush off our sin patterns, to make light of the ways we fall into unrighteous behavior, But those decisions, ignoring God's commands, show contempt for his kingship in our lives. God's commands are not there to be just ignored and treated as another opportunity for God to forgive me. Oh, well, he can just forgive me again. If that's your heart towards sin, I wonder if you know Christ. The heart of a true follower of Jesus is to obey. Are we going to do it perfectly? Absolutely not. Are we going to make mistakes and lots of them? Everyone say, absolutely You at home, say absolutely. Good. But what is the inclination of our heart? To be ruled by our evil desires or to be ruled by our king who died for us? So false teachers are rebellious and immoral. But the way of Jesus is to surrender and be holy. The way of Jesus is to surrender and be holy. Peter has shown the heart and actions of the false teacher. But what about their mouth? Pick up in verse 11. Whereas angels, the greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these false teachers, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. Church, false teachers use their mouths to slander. If you wanna see the condition of someone's heart, listen to the words of their mouth. That is convicting to me right now as I say it. What have been the words of my mouth this week? Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. False teachers are slanderers. Even the angels who are holy won't bring a slanderous accusation against another being. But a false teacher can't resist. They will slander anyone who gets between them and their ambitions. In ignorance, they mock what they don't understand. If you want to know the content of someone's character, take notice of how they treat others, especially those they don't agree with. I'm going to say that again. If you want to know the content of someone's character and their heart, take notice of how they treat other people, other images of God, which is what we are, especially those they disagree with. Again, I'm deeply convicted about that. You see, the way of Jesus is to build up, not tear down, not slander, not speak ill of another person who's made in the image of God as wrong as they can be and as horrible as they can be. These mouths were not given to us to tear down. They were given to us to build up. False teachers' mouths are full of slander. In James 3.9, Jesus' brother Half-brother James warns us of using our mouths to curse people who are made in God's image. Peter tells us that this destructive behavior will bring destruction on the one who perpetuates it and who per- perpetrates it. Suffering wrong, he says, as the wage for their wrongdoing. In other words, the work that these false teachers do is destruction. And so their paycheck, their wage, will be the same. Destruction. What they have sown, they will reap. Now this is not karma. This is not karma. What goes around comes way around. There's a way that the world balances itself out. This is not karma. They will suffer the consequences of what they do, but the consequences are intentionally driven by God. It is not karma. It is God meeting them with discipline, meeting them with the punishment that comes from their disobedience and faithlessness and tearing down of other human beings. And, we know it's intentionally driven by God because you can read that in verses 3 and 9 of this same chapter. Christians, people who love Jesus and are following Jesus must speak honestly and sometimes very directly. That's needed. Jesus did it. But as we do, we must remember we're speaking to an imager of God. Someone who, as broken as they are, are reflecting God in some way or another. So is what I'm saying harmful or is it healing? Sometimes healing things can be painful. Am I right? Anyone ever had a surgery to fix something in your body? Sometimes healing things can feel kind of harmful. But when you're speaking of or to another human being, is what you're saying aiming to heal them or aiming to harm them? The way of Jesus is to heal. This takes great humility, and false teachers are anything but humble. False teachers are prideful, just another one of the list that Peter gives us. In all of these verses we've read so far, there is this overarching sense of arrogance, that I follow my own lead, I do what I want, I speak about others how I see fit all saturated in ignorant arrogance. Church, this is not the way of Jesus. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who come to God saying, I am empty-handed, I'm broken, I'm poor, I have nothing to offer. And yet I come to you, God, to receive me and to give me grace. I know that I don't have anything to offer. I know my sin is great. But I come to you, God, asking you to give me favor anyway. Blessed are the poor in spirit, not blessed are the rich in attitude. The way of Jesus is humility. Deep, profound, God-given, God-sustained humility. I find it so incredibly compelling and moving that the God of all the universe, Jesus, stooped down and washed his disciples' feet. What a picture that is. And as John wrote that in his gospel, it's very clear he intended that to be a picture of what Jesus would do on the cross for the whole world, for those who would believe in him. You see, he washed his disciples' feet and he wiped their grime off on himself, on the towel he was wearing. And in the same way, when he went to the cross, he wiped our grime off onto himself, took it, was punished for it, in our place. What a humble Savior we have. Humility is always the posture of love. You will always see love kneeling and serving. If you want to love people, you can't do it without being humble. If you want to be like Jesus, you can't do it without seeking his humility. And so sadly, love is the farthest thing from the heart of a false teacher. You see, false teachers are greedy. I want to pick up part way through verse 13. False teachers are so greedy. Listen to this. They count it pleasure to revel. That's like to indulge or to party. In the daytime, they are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions, indulging and partying, enjoying their deceptions. While they feast with you, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls, they have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. You see, instead of working hard to earn an honest wage, they would rather party all day and indulge in luxury, freeloading from the people they are claiming to shepherd. A false teacher would rather sit around all day doing nothing, earning nothing, but take you for all your worth, all the while pretending that they are your shepherd, not earning it, but stealing it. Remember from last week, you are not a family to them. You are a business. You are a lucrative business opportunity. So beware of a greedy, stingy leader. Someone who cuts corners, pays under the table, shows up to receive, but absent when it's time to give. False teachers are takers. Genuine followers of Jesus are givers. The way of Jesus is generosity. The way of a false teacher is greed, but the way of Jesus is generosity. Jesus and his people seek to give, even past the point of sacrifice. But a false teacher will call you to sacrifice for them, all the while lying to you to get what they want out of you. And false teachers love their lies. They love their lies. You know why? Because it's their lies that get them by. Peter talks about the false teachers feasting with you, feasting with the church. Now, in the early church, they had these feasts regularly called agapes, and that's just a word for love. Love feasts is kind of like how we talk about it today, where the church would get together, love each other by feeding everyone from the poorest to the richest. Everyone would get fed. And then that feast would culminate with them sharing in the Lord's Supper, communion, taking bread and and a drink, wine, and consuming that and remembering what Jesus did for them. And the way that Peter writes this sentence about false teachers, about feasting, seems to be this ironic picture and wordplay. The implication of what he writes is this. You see, while the true believers celebrate the Lord Jesus and what he gave at these feasts, The false teachers celebrate their own deceitfulness, surrounded by suckers who believed them about what they can take. The feast is all about celebrating what Jesus gave, and false teachers celebrate what they took. And they laugh at you about it, snicker under their breath, because what a bunch of suckers who trust me. False teachers love their own lying because it serves their greed. But the way of Jesus is to love the truth. To love the truth. Not only do false teachers have their eyes on your money and your stuff, they actually have eyes that are prowling for people they can use. This is serious. The verse in English says, eyes full of adultery, and literally in the Greek that this was written in, it means eyes full of an adulteress. gives a little bit different picture, doesn't it? They look at every woman, considering them as potential candidate for adultery. And if the false leader, false teacher is a woman, look at every man as an opportunity for adultery. These people look at others with an eye to abuse. People are objects to be used for their sinful desires. You see, false teachers use people. It says they entice unsteady souls and they look for those who are vulnerable or new to the faith, picking them off to serve their lust and their greed. It says they have hearts trained in greed. That word trained, it's gymnazo. It's where we get our word gymnasium. They plan, rehearse, and practice their skills of seduction and exploitation. And they get better and better at it with every attempt. If this is you, if you're a person that looks at the church, as a place to prowl, to take, and to use people. I genuinely pray that God grants you repentance. There is unfathomable grace and forgiveness in Jesus, and it is free. It is a gift. And so if this is where you're currently at, I pray that God grants you forgiveness but if this is you and you will not repent, if this is you and you desire to continue to look at the church as a big flock that you're a wolf to come in and use and destroy for your own greed, gain, and lust, cursed. You're cursed. A child of the curse is what Peter calls you. If you do not heed the call to repent and continue, and you continue in your path of disbelief, prowling and taking and using, your condemnation is not idle, and your destruction is not asleep. You have been warned. The way of Jesus is not to use people. The way of Jesus is to serve people. Peter illustrates the character of these fallen teachers, these false teachers, drawing upon an Old Testament story, a prophet named Balaam from Numbers 22. Really weird, interesting story. Here's what Peter says about it in verse 15. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now, if you've never read that story, you may be saying, what in the world is Peter talking about? Good question. You see, Balaam was a prophet for hire. Back in the days when Israel, God was bringing Israel into the promised land, and they were conquering nations and peoples who lived there, so that they could take God's promise, that God could give them their promise. Balaam was a prophet that you could hire to speak good over your country or curses over another. And he originally played the part of this righteous prophet by denying this king, Balak, a few times. When Balak saw Israel coming, he says, hey, Balaam, come over here and I want you to curse Israel. And Balaam says, oh no, I couldn't do that, I couldn't do that, I couldn't do that. But then finally he heads towards Balak's direction, and it seems from what is said in the the scripture uh, that he's going with the intention of cursing Israel in return for money. And on the way there, there's this ironic turn. He's on this donkey, he's riding the donkey, and the donkey at some point in this path stops and just meanders off into this field. Balaam abuses the animal to try to get it to get back on the path. And the donkey keeps turning aside and and, and then lays down underneath Balaam and won't get up. He's hitting it with his rod. He's doing all kinds of things to this donkey. And then God allows the donkey to speak and say, what are you doing to me? Why are you hitting me? Because see, what he hadn't seen, what Balaam hadn't seen was in that pathway was the angel of the Lord. Who, if Balaam was going to continue in his way, would have struck him down. And so God uses a dumb donkey to speak to Balaam and to give grace. You see, the beast, the animal, had more wisdom than Balaam. What an ironic story. And these false prophets, these false teachers, are like Balaam. They'll do or say whatever it takes to get money. Greedy. Moving on, in verse 17, Peter continues to describe them. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. Now, what is the use of a waterless spring, a waterless well? You go to a well and you try to get water out of it. What's the use of it? It's useless, it's empty. And the mist, this mist driven clouds, mist fog you've seen it here in the valley it it brings blindness and confusion right you have to drive five miles an hour so you don't hit the person in front of you these are empty blinding agents of the devil for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, destruction, decay. For whatever, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Church, false teachers will use boastful, rebellious speech and indulgent freedom to lure you away. They will confidently tell you that their sin and your sin is no big deal. They will promise you freedom from all that stuck up morality that your preachers are teaching you. Because they want to make you just what they are, slaves, slaves. Rebellion and indulgence is not freedom, church. It is not freedom, it is slavery. Rebellion from God and indulgence in the things that are sinful in your life is not freedom. Jesus didn't die on the cross to forgive you from your sins so that you could go back into the jail cell of sin. He freed you from all that. And a false teacher will tell you, no, 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 no. that's just moral stuff, that's for suckers. Because of Jesus, You can do whatever you want, and he'll forgive you. Will Jesus forgive? Absolutely. But that's not the heart of a Jesus follower. The heart of a Jesus follower says, my king died on the cross for me, and I want to do everything I can to honor him. I will make mistakes. I will blow it big time. But, but my heart yearns and desires to please him, to honor him to reflect his goodness. That's, that's what a true heart of a believer will do. But a false teacher wants to make you a slave to sin. Says we are enslaved by what we cannot or will not say no to. If there is something you cannot say no to other than Christ, you're a slave to that thing. If you cannot or will not say no to something, you have been enslaved. And your God is very compassionate for you in that situation. He doesn't sit there with his arms crossed saying, man, when are you going to get it together? He comes towards you and says, let me help you. Let me heal you. Let me get you in a group of people that can be with you and love you and walk you through this. He is so utterly compassionate for you. But don't go the way of a false teacher that completely brushes God off and uses his forgiveness as an opportunity for license. The signs that you are being lured away is this. First, rejecting the authority of God and those God placed in authority over you. This is what Peter says. Second, indulging in sin rather than fighting it. And here is the very final stark warning that Peter gives in this passage, verse 20. For if, after they have, these false teachers, have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it, this is striking. Verse 21, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Now, I don't believe that this warning is about someone losing salvation, though it can appear that way, and many people have read it that way. I believe this warning is to those who never had it, and yet will put themselves in a position that will be even harder to attain it. Now, let me explain. I don't mean harder to attain it by you have to earn it. It's not what I mean. You see, false teachers have been in the church. They've been exposed enough to the knowledge of Jesus to be aware that he is the true way. That's what Peter's saying. They've seen enough of Jesus through the church and the teaching of the church and being with other Christians to have confirmed Jesus is the way. But they never surrendered to him in faith. They have the knowledge, but they haven't surrendered. And instead, they head, head back to this life of rebellion. I wonder if when Peter wrote these words, Peter was thinking about Judas, one of the other 12 disciples that he served alongside with under Jesus' ministry. All along, Judas looked like one of them. Judas looked like someone who was uh, with Jesus, believed in Jesus, following Jesus. He had all the knowledge that Jesus taught, just like Peter did. And yet all the while, without them knowing it, he was stealing from the money bag. And at the end his being with Jesus served him for nothing because he ended up hating Jesus enough to turn him in. He's called the son of perdition, one of Jesus's own disciples, and I wonder if when Peter's writing this passage, he's thinking of his used to be friend Judas. Peter says that rejecting the truth, Jesus himself, rejecting Jesus after having such close proximity to him makes these people's states worse than if they had never heard the truth or been in community with the church. Why? Why is it worse? Because once you've done that, once you've been to that place of being with the church, pretending you're a believer, there's a sense of been there and done that, especially if you have defrauded them. What's the likelihood you will come back? What's the likelihood you will re-embrace Jesus? It's very unlikely to ever return to it again, to truly surrender in faith for salvation because you've been there, done that, been down that road. And so like a dog or a pig running back to the filth they left, a false teacher having used and abused the church runs back home to the filth and slavery of a hard heart. The path that they have chosen has done near irreparable damage to their soul. I say near because I believe God can save anyone. I believe God can restore anyone. Anyone, no matter how dark or deep the pit that you've dug for yourself is, I believe, and the Bible teaches, that God can restore anyone. The question is, what damage are we doing to our soul when we rebel and we take and we prowl so that our pride would be so much that we would not turn back to Jesus when we realize we're in error? But God is gracious, and he can turn anyone back. Amen? What a bleak and disturbing truth we've heard today. Is anyone super encouraged right now? But what a shame it would be for us to leave it there. God's word, no matter how grim or how bleak some of the truth in it can be, always leads back to Jesus. I'm going to say it again because I didn't hear you say anything. It always leads back to Jesus. This passage is the pitch black backdrop of night against which the brilliance of the sun, and yes, I do mean the double entendre there, the brilliance of the sun can outshine. Yes, there are evil, greedy, false shepherds in this world, but there is also the good shepherd. I invite you to stand because the words that I'm going to say next are not Just a sermon. This is going to be worship. Those at home, if you can, would you stand as well? What you're about to hear is a response to the greatness of Jesus. And I would encourage you, even though you won't be saying it along or singing it along, treat this as a worship song. Even raise your hands if you want to, because I want to speak some truth about our good shepherd Jesus. And it's this, Jesus, the good shepherd, is everything that the false shepherds are not. Jesus is everything that we, against what these false shepherds are. Philippians 2, what Mike read earlier, where they are rebels, he is king. Where they are immoral, Jesus is holy. Where they slander, Jesus builds up. Where they are prideful, Jesus is humble. Where they take in their greed, he gives in his sacrifice. And where they blind with lies, Jesus gives sight with truth. Where they use the broken, Jesus serves the broken, like you and me. And where they boast in their slavery, he bleeds for our freedom. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of our Father. He is everything that the false teachers, leaders, people of this world are not. I know some here and some at home probably have never surrendered your life to Jesus by trusting him alone to save you. Or you've been hoping that you'd somehow be a good enough person to earn it. That's not how this works. It is a gift given to hands stretched out in faith. Have you heard the truth enough to have proximity to Jesus, but never walked through the door of his house and let him invite you in for salvation. Today, his invitation stands. Come and believe. If you want to give yourself to Jesus this morning, surrender to him, either quietly or out loud. I would invite you to pray this after me. And the rest of us who have surrendered to Jesus, please be praying for those who are doing this right now. Pray after me if you want to surrender your life to Jesus. Father in heaven, I know I've sinned. I know I have rebelled against you and my sin is serious. But I have heard the gospel that Jesus will forgive me not based on what I have done but on what he did on the cross. Jesus, I accept your salvation, and I accept you as Lord and King and Savior of my life. Thank you for doing what I couldn't do. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for adopting me as a son. Thank you for adopting me as a daughter. I will live for you and worship you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Point.